Welcome back to the FreightWaves Autonomous and Electric Vehicle Summit. This is Alan Adler. I am the Detroit Bureau Chief for FreightWaves. And I'm joined today by Jack Allen, the Chief Executive Officer of Proterra. Proterra is a maker, mostly known as a maker of electric buses. We're going to find out as we talk with Jack that there's a lot more going on there than just buses. Um, Jack himself has been at uh, Proterra for about six years, four, four of those years as the as a board member. Uh, having joined them from Navistar International, where he was the chief operating officer. And uh, in the last 16 months or so, he has been the chief executive officer and has led them to uh, uh, the public uh, ownership through a, through a, spe- a special purpose acquisition company. That uh, event concluded recently, and we'll talk a little about that. Jack, I want to welcome you to FreightWaves. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, thanks, Alan. It's great to be here. Great to be with uh, with you today. Well, we've we've had a, an opportunity to chat recently about your about your uh, despacking, if you will, the the uh, completion of your business combination with um, oh gosh, I can't even remember your sponsor's name right now. But but the point is, you're on your own. You are now a public company, and uh, I guess before we get into that, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about the transition. And I know it's been a number of years now. Uh, what it was like to to come from a truck and bus uh, manufacturer like Navistar. Uh, you know, to a startup electric bus manufacturer like Proterra. Well, you know, obviously it was uh, incredibly different. I, you know, I came from a company that was 100 years old, had, you know, 10,000 employees, had products and manufacturing plants that were well-established, even IT systems that were well-established. Uh, I came from a company where, you know, the, the employees were just incredibly passionate uh, about Navistar. Uh, and then I end up going to a, a startup company that you know, is is growing their product line, is building manufacturing uh, places, is putting in an ERP system for for the first time. So uh, quite chaotic. Uh, but the, from a people standpoint, though, uh, the people at Proterra are incredibly passionate about Proterra, but they're also incredibly passionate about uh, the mission that Proterra is trying to accomplish, uh, one of really improving the environment in all of our communities by, you know, moving the world to electric vehicle technology. So, you know, incredibly bright people, passionate people, uh, high energy, uh, really fun to be around. Yeah, I, I get to believe the startup mentality, and and although you're not really a startup, you've been around quite a while. You've you have one of the things that. That uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the startups in both electrification and autonomy uh, really don't have, and, and that's revenue. I mean, you know, you were you were you know putting up numbers well before uh, you know your your decision to go public. Um, talk a little bit, if you could, about Proterra's branding and how moving from being an electric bus maker to a sort of a charging as a service business came about. Sure. So you know, one of the things that really attracted me to to Proterra was that. You know, I was very familiar with electrification at Navistar and what they were doing, and, and they were really in the infant, you know, stages when I was leaving. But I get to Proterra, and you know, they had spent hundreds of millions of dollars developing a product line that was incredibly superior to anything that was going on in the commercial vehicle space. So, you know, that is really what started the branding and the, you know, the the innovation uh, at Proterra was. We, we've got this technology, and the first place that, that we deployed this electric vehicle technology, the battery system itself, was into transit buses. 
And the reason Proterra did that back in, in the day was because you know, all the analysis said the transit market was going to be the first one uh, to go all electric because it had all the right characteristics. Uh, it had high mileage, it had really poor fuel economy. Uh, the vehicles were on fixed routes. They came back to a, a central depot at night uh, to be charged. So it was very logical along with the government funding and the government desire for uh, improvement to the environment that you know the transit would go first. So that's where you know Proterra first deployed that technology and and you know that's going extremely well. We've sold more electric uh, vehicles uh, than any other transit bus manufacturer in, in North America. But the real opportunity when I got there was with my knowledge of the commercial vehicle industry was to say, why can't we take this technology and, and help commercial vehicle manufacturers electrify uh, their products? So be a, a tier one or a tier 0.5 to really help uh, these companies uh, electrify their business. And that's really what the second piece of Proterra's business is. And it's, it's really going extremely well. We have eight partnerships today uh, across all kinds of different product lines with different companies. Uh, two notable ones are Daimler and, and Komatsu. So for Daimler, we help them electrify their school buses and their uh, step van vehicles. And Komatsu, we're going to help them electrify uh, excavators. So, you know, that was it's kind of the second act, the second view of, of what Proterra did. But then throughout this process, we came quickly to the realization that the number one enabler of electrification uh, adoption is charging. You have to have charging, you have to have infrastructure to help these fleets really move forward faster. And so we started a, a business unit within our company to do charging and, and uh, you know, and infrastructure. And, and that's going real well too. We've installed over, you know, 46 megawatts of charging systems uh, throughout North America over the last couple of years. Uh, we've built 300 megawatt hours of battery systems. Uh, we've built over 600 transit buses, 130 different deployments. And uh, these vehicles have over 20 million miles on them. So as you said, Alan, we, we are different than a pre-revenue uh, startup company. Right. You know, you, you talked to me about uh, when when you uh, were, were ready to, you know, sort of uh, de-spack uh, to stand on your own. You said there was a reason that you went that direction rather than, say, an IPO or a direct listing. Uh, you know, walk us through that a little bit. I thought it was fascinating what you said uh, back then. And, and I can remind you what you said if I need to, but I think you'll sure. remember. No, so because we were a revenue company. Uh, we really had choices um, to go a traditional IPO route or to do a you know, special purpose acquisition company route. We evaluated them both and ultimately came to the conclusion that the, the SPAC route was better for us. And it was really a couple of reasons. One is uh, you get a partner in this. Uh, so it's, it's more than just capital. We, we have a partnership with, with Arclight Clean Transition Corp. And they, you know, they have a background in energy and in uh, sustainable investing. So we have a lot in common with them and they can help us really grow our charging and infrastructure business. But the other reason was kind of back to your original introduction of, of me. You know, Proterra has traditionally been known as a transit, uh, you know, transit bus manufacturer, but the company has evolved dramatically over the last couple of years 
And when you do a traditional IPO, you're really only allowed to talk about, uh, take a backward look at your company, and that's how you market it to investors. But when you do a SPAC, you're allowed to take a forward look at your market and tell the investors uh, a lot greater detail about uh, where your company is going. So that's really why we took that, took that route in. Uh, no regrets, it's worked out well. Uh, we completed our, our uh, transaction on the 14th of June and uh, started trading as uh, Proterra. So the symbol is PTRA and things are going well. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. You know, I, I guess I want to go back to to transit buses for a minute. Does does public transportation remain the top application for electric vehicles in the near term in, in your estimation? I mean, I, I, I can see why you'd want it to be. Sure. Well, you know, today we believe that, you know, almost uh, as, as we take a forward look out at all the bids that are coming in from transit agencies, the adoption rate is already over 25% uh, from a future order standpoint. So it's moving quite quickly. Um, there's a Frost and Sullivan study that was done a couple of years ago that uh, over 50% of the market will be electric by 2025. We think we're, you know, we're on our way to have that happen. So clearly the, the first market is, is transit. But as we look at the, at the commercial vehicle market as a whole, you know, we see the adoption of electrification in all kinds of different applications happening, you know, right behind transit. Uh, probably the first one is school buses. And school buses are significantly bigger market. You know, transit buses is five, 6,000 a year. School buses, there's, you know, 30, 35,000. Uh, per year. And we see that that market is going to go electric for a lot of the same reasons that you see uh, on the transit side in terms of fixed routes and back to a central location and the desire of communities for their you know, publicly owned assets uh, to move to a, toward a cleaner technology. So we see that happening. And then as you move towards commercialization, you know, there are so many companies like, you know, the FedEx, the UPSs, the Amazons, that they are you know, aggressively uh, advancing uh, electrification with their targets. And the beauty here is that as their desire to go electric is moving forward, it's, it's mating up with a, a greater uh, you know, total cost of ownership for electrification as the cost of batteries comes down. And frankly, the cost of diesel continues to go up with uh, new EPA regulations, especially these ones that are coming in 2024 and, and 2027. So uh, there's a, a good, you know, congruence here. You, uh, you've, you've described, I think, uh, Class 8 trucking as sort of the holy grail. Um, the, the walk from, from transit buses and school buses and, say, Class 3 to 5 uh, vehicles being electrified up to sort of the, the Class 8 trucking, um, why do you call that the holy grail? Well, the, the real reason is because of the overall size of the market. So, you know, I just described, you know, a five, 6,000 market and a 30-some-thousand market for school buses. The, the Class 8 over-the-road market uh, and Class 8 regional haul market is hundreds of thousands of vehicles uh, every year. So uh, the Holy Grail is because of the size of it, but also the complexity of it and the uh, the design requirements to get this right, and you know, a weight is so critical to uh, you know class eight fleet. You know they want to haul every single pound of payload they can, and they can only go up 
you know, to 80,000 pounds. So you have to, you know, put forward a solution that can go, you know, close to, you know, close to 500 miles in a day. Uh, it has to have the uptime that they currently have with a, a diesel powered product, um, but it has to have, you know, with that range, it also has to have the weight in, in order to allow them to, to run a successful operation. And that's the complexity that's, you know, not quite there yet, but it's being worked on. So a few weeks ago, I had an opportunity to take a ride in the in the Nikola a tray, which is, a, a as you know, is a, a battery powered uh, a class A day cab. And doing the, the math, I mean, the, the batteries there are 10,000 pounds. Uh, obviously, you've got the weight of the cab and then you've got the weight of the trailer or the flatbed or whatever. Uh, you know, you're not going to get 80,000 pounds or even close to that uh, in, in terms of total haul. Um, obviously, you're looking to either be the one or, or be the beneficiary of greater energy density in the batteries. I mean, you're making, you know, cylindrical batteries now. And, you know, I, I presume that the goal uh, for you is to get, you know, more energy into those, into those cells, right? Yeah, for sure. The, you know, we are committed to, you know, battery electric technology. Uh, we, we currently use small format cylindrical cells. Uh, obviously, we look at the whole landscape of what's coming down the road. But, you know, we believe that uh, over time, with advancements in uh, battery technology, that we will be able to hit the requirements of the Class 8 fleet. Uh, we also believe that, you know, there may be some help from the federal government to give them a few pounds more than 80,000 if, uh, if you're running an, elect an all-electric fleet. Yeah, and of course, I think California at least allows 82 now, but but that's some help, I guess. Um, I, I am I am curious on something else that you told me. I, I shouldn't be surprised that you would say it, given that you're a you know a battery powered uh, man manufacturer of, of buses at all. Uh, you don't really buy into a role for hydrogen out there, and of course, you know the kind of attention it's been getting recently. Um, why don't you walk walk me through why why you think that is doesn't have a you know, I, I do believe that there is an opportunity for, you know, a coexistence between battery and hydrogen and, you know, to a certain extent. I just think it's, um, to me, I, I think it's unrealistic to believe that the infrastructure for hydrogen is, you know, that that investment is really going to be made to allow, you know, class eight fleets to refuel across the country. It's a, it's a huge investment. And if, you know, if we can get there on battery electric, which, you know, I mean, we believe it. I think uh, certainly the people at Tesla uh, believe it, that if we can get to that point, it, it just makes the investment in hydrogen unnecessary. And, you know, then it won't happen. And I go back to, you know, back in, uh, you know, the mid 2000s, you know, we would have been having the same discussion about uh, natural gas. And there was a belief that the class eight fleets back then were going to all go to either liquefied or compressed natural gas. And it didn't happen because no one invested in the infrastructure in order to make that happen because they saw that battery electric technology had the ability to make, you know, a natural gas infrastructure investment obsolete. I think the same dynamics are going to play in here when it comes to uh, fuel cells and hydrogen. Yeah. And I, I guess, you know, I, I remember years ago, uh, the head of R&D at, at General Motors talked about sort of a nationwide network. 
I think he put a price tag on it of about $24 billion, which is even then a lot of money to do a nationwide network. I guess more of the hydrogen discussion now is, is sort of, uh, you know, at least from a Nicholas standpoint, it's like a station pairs and, and that kind of thing. So, so, you know, maybe there's a way, and then you've got some of your companies like Cummins and others, uh, you know, um, I think Amy Davis is one of our, I think she's doing the keynote at this event, uh, you know, and she's, They've talked about a pretty good revenue stream from hydrogen. Sure. So we'll see what happens there, I guess. Yeah, it's, well, it'll uh, be uh, very interesting to watch this play out over the remainder of the decade, for sure. Yeah. We, what we know is we're going for, for, for clean alternatives. We, we, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure we have any decent speakers uh, in this event. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let, let me circle back to something you just referenced briefly, and that's this idea of, of government involvement in infrastructure planning. Uh, you know, we're, we're seeing some real numbers now as we get closer to uh, to possibly getting an infrastructure deal. And by the time, you know, this airs, maybe there will be one. I don't know. But but I think the, the thought here is that is that you can only benefit from this. Is that is that the right read? Well, I mean, I've had the opportunity over the last couple of months to have uh, you know a couple of conversations uh, with the Biden administration about how, you know, so a company like Proterra, you know, could be, you know, could help uh, the, the nation electrify. And where I think government's, you know, role should be here, should start with is infrastructure. Because, you know, if, if someone would go put a an electric charging, uh, you know, system in place today, say across truck stops for North America, you know, th- it's going to be a very difficult investment early on because you're going to have the infrastructure in place while you're while the fleet is catching up from an electrification standpoint. And that kind of has to happen because the fleets can't go first and electrify their, you know, their fleet if there's no charging. Charging has to come first, but the the investment is difficult because the payback in the early years is really tough. And that's where I think that the government involvement should be to help kickstart a charging network across this company and across this country. And I think if they do that, I think the fleet electrification will come along a lot faster. So you want them to break the eggs and the chicken and the egg. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I, I sure do. I think that's what, what's really required to move electrification across uh, at uh, you know, an adoption rate that, you know, a company like Proterra and our, you know, our mission uh, believes in. Yeah. Well, Jack, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us uh, for the uh Autonomous Electric Vehicle Summit. We'll look forward to catching up down the road and, and we wish all the best to uh, newly public Proterra. Well, thank you very much, Alan. It's great to be here and uh, good luck with the rest of, of your conference. Thank you. Have a great day.